Father in heaven, we want to thank you that you are indeed worthy. And in participating with that song together, I'm struck with thankfulness for all the things that this church is doing because we believe so much that you are indeed worthy. We thank you for the missionaries that we partner with around the world. We thank you that even this morning we were reminded that we can partner with Dave as he heads off to Cuba. We thank you for those who are listening online and the impact that we can have in that regard. We thank you that even now there are dedicated volunteers who are downstairs impacting children's lives. We thank you for the technical people who are here this morning. We thank you for the worship team who commit so much of their energy to be able to proclaim and to lead us in songs that declare that you indeed are worthy. So we thank you for that this morning, and we pray that you would bless this time together. And we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you very much. You can be seated, and uh, hey, welcome. Nice to have you here. Nice to uh, be able to conclude a 10-part series with you that we've been uh, going through. And, and uh, can, I, can I ask how many have been here for the whole 10? Can, or, you know... Anybody here been here for the whole 10 series? Oh, yeah? Okay, I won't make you stand up then, all right? No, no, I just wanted to know if you guys were tracking with me, that's all, okay? Um, and, and again, I understand it's very warm in here. Praise God in November. Okay? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm yeah, I, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're going to, we feel a little bit like Cuba right here, okay? Right, right now. Okay, yeah, but we've been talking about the 10 uh, really important chapters in the Bible, and why these chapters are so important is because they, they help to form the framework of this whole thing that we call Christianity, this, this thing that we call, um, you know, faith in Jesus Christ, and why is it so important? Why are these chapters so important? And, and we've said, you know, if, if you don't if, if you don't understand these chapters, you're going to struggle in some way with the Christian message. You know, if you, if you, you, don't, if you don't believe that we're fallen, if you don't believe that, that what we learned in chapter 3, that we are, we are fallen people and that, and that um, you know, we come into this world broken, we come into this world as sinners, you're going to struggle with Genesis 15, with understanding that God starts this covenant. You're going to struggle with Isaiah 53, the fact that, that uh, uh, God is going to bring a suffering servant who's going to die, who's going to be able to redeem everybody, to be the perfect sacrifice. You're going to struggle when Jesus shows up in John 3 and is talking to Nicodemus, who's a religious man, and says, guess what? You're going to have to be born again. You're going to struggle with that. You're going to struggle with the, with the significance of the resurrection and what that means for us. You're going to struggle with 1 Corinthians uh, 15, uh, 13 about 
Why is it that we have to love in the way that we have to love and, and be an exemplification of what God's love is to other people? You're going to struggle with all that stuff, you know, because, because it is all integrated and it is all interwoven in, in this beautiful message that we call Christianity, this beautiful message that we call being a follower of Jesus Christ or a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful, beautiful theology. And if you are tracking with us at all, you know that um, today being the last day, we're going to pick a passage out of Revelation. And, you know, if you're a believer here this morning, you know that this is not all that there is. That even though we've talked about the brokenness of the world and we've talked about the gospel and the gospel's about redemption, the gospel's about renewal, the gospel's all about recreation, there is this beautiful passage that tells us, maybe not in all the detail that we want, but tells us where we are going. It's a beautiful passage. And, um, and, and in fact, I have to be very honest with you, it's one of my favorite passages. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And I'll explain in a a little while why it's so favorite. It's probably just the way I'm wired. But this Revelation 21, we're only going to look at the first eight verses this morning. But if you ever ask yourself, where is all of this going? We have a beautiful picture in the book of Revelation of where it's going. So if you're tracking with me this morning, here we are because this is not all there is. And uh, we're going to start reading at Revelation 21, verses 1 to 3. John the Apostle writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. By the way, the sea is gone because that's where the beast comes from. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's just a picture of how things are going to be absolutely recreated and perfect and brand new in the new heavens and the new earth. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Okay, I'm just going to park right there for a few minutes. Now, if, if, you, if, if you've been listening to the messages, you know that we've talked about covenantal language. That God has said when he's made a covenant with his people, that I will be your God and you will be my people. Here we are in Revelation 21, right at the very end of, of, of all things. And we're getting this beautiful picture of what the future holds. That God is, re, is reclaiming this phrase and, and, and restating it for everyone to remember. That God's made this promise that if you are a child of his, that he will be your God and we will be together as his people. That is a covenantal promise that began way back in Genesis. Way back in Genesis 15, Genesis 12, way back there. And here we are, God not forgetting his promise. God not forgetting what he's put in place for all of us who claim to be followers of his. God doesn't forget what he promises. He may, he may not do it as quickly as we would like him to, granted, but God doesn't forget his promise. And here he is claiming that he will be our God and we will be his people. I don't know about you, but I long for that day. I really do long for that day. 
And the Bible is beautifully written in that it's absolutely bookend by paradise and paradise. Genesis 1 and 2 is all about paradise. Revelation 21 and 22 is all about paradise. And I don't have time to, to put it all together for you, but uh, Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22 have a lot of similarities. There are a lot of things that are brought back, a lot of things that, that uh, remind us of the paradise in Genesis. And that's intentional because what God created in the very beginning as being good and what he claimed to be was re- very good, right? He's bringing that back and he's establishing and we're seeing a picture of what God intended the creation to be right from the very beginning, you know, we've got, this, we've got this paradise to paradise and we've got this fallenness and this work of God and redemption of God to bring us back to this, this place of paradise again, this beautiful picture. And if you want to know, if you read the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah twice says a new heavens and a new earth and talks about a redeemed creation and even, even the animal kingdom being redeemed, that everything that we talk about when we talk about brokenness in the world and we talk about you know, the fallenness of humanity, all of that stuff is brought back brand new again by God. That we know where we're heading, we know where we're going, we know what's, what, where, what the trajectory is that God has taken us to. We know it very, very well. I got a lot of time this morning. Is that clock right? Okay, you guys are in for a ride then. Okay. You know, that, that, is, that, is, that is a beautiful picture of the new heavens and the new earth. And listen, I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, there, 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 there are a number of us, and us, people, scholars, commentators, that really um, focus on that term new heaven and new earth, okay? We often talk about being, a heaven being this separated place. And remember in the, in the Garden of Eden, God actually walked with Adam and Eve, that there was something about being together. Now, don't, don't ask me to explain it uh, exactly. Don't ask me to you know, paint you a picture about what this new heaven and new earth. But there's something to be said about this planet, the, the beauty of this planet, uh, the way that God created it, the way that God intended it to be originally. There's something about it coming back. That it's not a forgotten thing, that, that, that God may take the old earth away and bring us a new earth. But I don't know. I, I still think we're going to be golfing in heaven. You got me? No? Well, not you? No? What, what, what do you want to do, Juan? What do you want to do in new heaven? Sing? Oh, that, yeah, we'll all be able to do that. That's... Oh, that's like, that's like saying I want gold. You know, the gold, yeah, gold in heaven is like the tar for the roads. Yeah, right? But we'll all be singing. But you're going to be the loudest, right? And the highest, you know? I, I believe very much that the thing that, things that we enjoy the most now, here, are going to be enjoyed in, in a way that we can't imagine in the new heavens and the new earth. That, you know, um, whatever it is, that God will in- redeem the entire earth and it will be a, the most spectacular existence 
that we can ever imagine. I, I say this to my students all the time in class. I think one of the biggest shocks we're going to get when we, when we walk through that, that curtain of death into the new heavens, when we walk through that and, and, and see heaven and see the beauty of what God has created, the thing that's going to shock us the most, you know, seeing God, seeing Jesus, that is just going to just... We're not going to be able to put it into words. But I think the thing that is going to really shock us as well is just how much sin has affected the world we live in right now. I think, I think we're not going to have any idea just how limited we were. Uh, we're not going to have any idea the potential that we had as, as people made in his image. What, what, what existence would have been like. What, you know, uh, remember in Genesis, you know, it, became, it suddenly became harder just to grow food. It became, became harder just in childbirth. That, that everything now ended up in conflict and difficulty. And, and, I, and I think God intended so much more for us. And I think that's the big shock we're going to get. We're going to say, well, wait a minute. We, we could have done that? Yeah. But there's no way, there's no way we were so limited here. I still think that's an awfully big universe out there, and I think it was meant for something. It's an awfully big universe out there, and I think it was meant for something. Maybe Mars was supposed to be the holiday destination and not Florida. Just saying. Just saying. It's warm there. You know, just saying. Okay? Here's, here's, the, here's the beautiful part of Revelation in, in, this, in this particular section. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. You know, you know what I love about that line? Right? It, it's, it's, it's very graphic in that God will come up to you and actually wipe the tears from your eyes. Isn't that beautiful? I think that's a beautiful way that it's written. And there will be no more death. God's people said, Amen. Amen. And there will be no more sorrow. And God's people said, Amen. And no more crying. Amen. And no more pain. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> All these things are gone forever. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yeah. <laughs> And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And here we are reading it as God told the Apostle John to write it down because it is trustworthy and true. And here we are together reading it and knowing that this is the very word of God and we can know it to be a fact and we know that this is what we can enjoy one day in the future. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. There it is again, repeated, that I will be their God, this covenantal promise, and they will be my children. I can't think of a better dad than God himself. As great as a heavenly, as an earthly father that I had, imagine God the Father walking alongside him and Jesus and the Spirit of God all 
together. This, this book was written at a time when believers in Jesus Christ were being persecuted. Things were very, very difficult. And John wrote this, and, and God inspired John to write this to remind them that what they presently are suffering with is just temporary. That there is a future that is controlled by God. The present is controlled by God, but the circumstances of the present are nothing compared to the glorious future that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. That is a powerful thing to to walk through life with and to know that we have a future, that we have a promise from God himself. A promise from God himself. You know, I, I, I've, said, I've said earlier that this is my favorite passage. And, you know, uh, you know, you read statistically that the book of Psalms is the passage, is the book that everybody goes to. In, in, you know, it's the most read book. Because people can, can resonate with the writers, you know, who are going through difficult times. Um, and, and, and can hear the words of someone experiencing the same kind of pain and, and difficulties that, that we suffer with today. You know, um, and, and again, I guess it's the way I'm wired, but this is the passage I go to. Um, because, you know, as, as much as the Psalms is a place where it can resonate with what you're going through, I'm the kind of person that just knows that I'm, I, I like to read once again that God wins, that it's not going to last forever. And this passage is something that just kind of pumps me up and, and says, you know, you know, uh, you know get over it, John, because it's not going to last forever, right? But that's me. That's, my wedding ring keeps falling off. Anyway, just nearly, I nearly lost my wedding ring. So, yeah, I just go on like this. I went like this in the store the other day, and the ring went, woo, like, you know. So, wow, good thing I caught it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, I don't know what that's about. But anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, I don't know, it's just starting to come off, yeah. Um, so this is, a, you know, God is going to get rid of the debilitating effects of the fall. Everything that we suffer with, everything that accurses us in this planet, everything that is sin. And isn't it wonderful that, that the passage says, to those who are thirsty. To those who are thirsty. Listen, that's, that's, that's something very important for you to take in this morning, right? How many of us have gotten around somebody who starts asking about God? who they have this kind of thirst about God. And we want to direct them in a, in a direction that's all about something that isn't really relevant to the thirst that they're, they're having in that moment, right? This is a, this is a great wake-up call for the church. There are so many people who are actually thirsty for, for, for an acknowledgement of this, actually thirsty for, to, to know that, that this is not all there is, that there's something greater, that God has promised something greater for his people, that God has actively worked all throughout history to bring this to, to, to where God wants history to, to land. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. How many people have been turned off when they've gotten thirsty because we refuse to give them the glass of water they needed in the moment? Right? Right? You know, it's wonderful. And you know what else I like about this passage? We talk all the time about 
No, we don't talk all the time. I, th- I think instinctively we want God to make us better. But you know what this passage teaches us? That God is going to make us new. It's not just about being better. That God's going to make us new. Just like the creation is new. God is going to make us new. And you know what? I think a lot of us, if, if, if we were to ask God, um, hey, can you change this about us and the, this about us? And, you know, can I, can I talk a little bit about making me new in this area and new in this area? But you can leave that part of it. That was the one part you got right, you know? Or, you know, um, you, you know <laughs> no, I'm not going to go there. I just, no, I'm not going to go there. Right? But, you know, it, it really struck me this week that we often talk about a life with God is better. It's not. God wants to do something new in each and every one of us. That's why Paul talks about the new creation. That's about, it's a restructuring program. That, we, that, that God takes the raw materials of who we are and creates something brand new for him, for his glory, for his honor. And, and, and this is what the entire new heaven and the new earth is all about. This, this thing about new. That the home is new. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture. Um, I've got a PowerPoint about all beauty. I think all beauty in the world is either a memory of paradise or a prophetic hint of the world to come. I like what N.T. Wright says. N.T. Wright says that all beautiful things that we enjoy in this life is an echo is an echo of the reality of what paradise was and it still lingers on today. Or it's a, it's, it's a hint of what is to come that we can enjoy with fullness. We only enjoy it to a certain degree now. We know we're, we're awestruck. Our breath is taken away. We know the beauty of the moment. We know the beauty of, of and, and we recognize the beauty of the moment. I, I, I love it when you get a crowd of people and no one's saying anything because as you look upon it, you, you all know it's beautiful. You, you can't often define it. You can't often explain it, like just what it was that you felt, but you know know when you see it that it's utter beauty that it's something that is so so far removed from the brokenness of the world that it just hints that there are things better than what we see all around us than what we see all around us okay i'm going to go to verse eight now um this, this, is, uh, this is as far as we're going this morning, okay? This is verse 8. And it starts with a but. Yeah. And you know what happens when the Bible starts with a but. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Somebody is going to send me a little video, uh, audio clip of me saying but uh, in church. I know that because every time I do this, somebody sends me something. Anyway, but cowards. But cowards. Unbelievers. The corrupt. Murderers. The immoral. Those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Okay. Now, if we look at that list, there's there's a word in that particular list that really bothers me. That really bothers me. If you look at that particular list, most of us are going to go, yeah, yeah, we, we get that. that that's, that's understandable. Those are the, the, the things that the Bible 
advocates against, okay? But that, that first word bothers me. But cowards. Cowards. Now, when I first ran across this, this, this verse, I, I immediately assumed that coward meant unbeliever. But the very next word is unbelievers. You know, take cowards out of there, and I'm okay with the list. If you want to know the, the, the reality, I'm okay with the list. But who's the coward? Who are the cowardly? It's a, it, you know, it's a real word, word that bonds. Listen, you can call me a lot of names. I'm not sure I'm going to like being called a coward. I don't know about you guys, but, but that's probably one word that I'm not really crazy about getting called. I don't know, I don't know what, you're, what you fear, but to be called a coward. Now, I even looked up the Greek, and I was going, please, 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 may there be a nuance of this particular word that I can kind of jog around it and, and do some you know, uh, interesting uh, exegetical stuff with and kind of get around this word a little bit. But I can't because in, in Greek, coward means coward. And I went, wow, wow. You know, we joke all the time about, you know, standing in front of God and, and the answers we're going to be accountable for and, and all those kinds of things. I can't imagine standing before God and God saying, hey, you were a coward. I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's a very tough word. And I guess, I, I guess the real question is to ask yourself if you have a price. You know, is there something that you would sell yourself out for that this world is offering that would categorize you as a coward? That your faith would be diminished because you would be branded a coward. Now remember, what, what is equally disturbing to me is to take the context of this particular passage, uh, the book of Revelation. This is at a time when Christians are being persecuted um, and they're di- dying for their faith. And here is the Apostle John putting this brand out there of a coward. I wish that word wasn't there, to be honest, because it's such a difficult Difficult word. But what does it mean to be a coward? And I think that's a question that only we can answer on our own. And I think that's a question that we can only between ourselves and God be able to answer. But it's a tough word, isn't it? And I don't... And, you know... I, I think very clearly it is people who refused to have a faith in God because they were more interested in what the world had to offer and they sided with the earthly pleasures, the things of this life, and didn't open themselves up to the potential of a faith in God, a 
of faith in Christ. That's what I think it is, very simply. And John brands it as being a coward. If you're not going to even investigate this thing about faith, if you're not even going to bother to look at it, if you're not going to have the courage to step out and say, hey, guess what? I'm a sinner, and I need someone to save me. If you're not going to have the courage to stand up and say, you know what? I'm not perfect. I'm not the only one um, that, uh, that can rule my life, that I need to, to give that over to someone else. I need to give that over to God. I need to live my life in, in subjection to Him and in servitude to Him. All of those kinds of things. Because, because that is, that is the, the, the element of pride that comes in some people's lives and they refuse to even look at the potential of a God existing. To John, that is cowardice. The cowardly. All right. Can I move on? No. Yeah. I got to move on, right? Okay. Good. That's a, tough, that's a tough passage, isn't it? And isn't it interesting, in the middle of one of the most glorious passages about the future and what God is going to bring and the new creation and the new heavens and, and all of this beautiful picture, God pauses at verse 8 and reminds us of those that won't be there. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Isn't that something, a message for us as the people of God? Isn't that a, an important thing to, rem, to, rem, to remind ourselves that even though this glorious future awaits for believers, that are still there are still others that won't have that privilege. That won't have that privilege. All right? Okay, I've got a couple of PowerPoints here. The essence of heaven is not streets of gold, pearly gates, or even mansions. It's the presence of God. Okay? That is the essence of the heavens and the new earth. That God is present in, in, in a way that he is not exactly present now. And I know presence is a, is a difficult term to, to define. But you'll be able to see God in a way. And it's the very presence of God. Often we think of heaven as, as again, streets of gold, uh, pearly gates, uh, mansions, and, and, and things like that. But the essence of heaven in the Bible is all about God, all about the presence of God. If you're not enjoying the presence of God here on earth, why would you even desire to be in the presence of God in heaven? Right? That's, the, that, that's, that's, that's a true statement to make. Most of us want to go to heaven because we think there's personal benefits to being there. But the essence of heaven is all about the presence of God. And if you don't enjoy the presence of God here, why would you think you would enjoy the presence of God there? When it's multiplied ten to, hundred, you know, in, in ways you can't imagine. Here you can at least think you're getting away from it. Not there. Not there. And heaven is not the culmination of a shopping list for human desire, but a dwelling place of joy for those faithful in Christ who have persevered in a fallen world. That's the reward. That's, that's what heaven's all about. So there is some place that we're going. There is some place that history is heading towards. This beautiful picture of the new heavens and new earth that God is promising for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. All right? <clears throat> Listen, I, I have a whole... 
I, I have a whole number of pastor friends that dread teaching on the book of Revelation. <laughs> and I know why after this morning. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a tough book, isn't it? It's a very, very tough book. Okay? All right. Um, have fun with it in your life groups this week. But I'm going to do a summary of the last 10 weeks that, that we have for those of you. Um, just to make it easy. And by the way, I'll put this on the pastoral blog on our website as well. Um, so here's a, a, a summary of the last number of weeks. Week one, we talked about Genesis 1, the creation story. And we learned that we are made in God's image and created to be in a relationship with God. It wasn't all about how many days. It wasn't all about, um, you know, how God did it. It was the why of how of what God did. And we learn that we are responsible and accountable for God because he is the creator and he is the sovereign over the entire universe. And we are made in his image to reflect his glory. We are made in his image as ambassadors on this planet for him. Okay? That's, that's what, um, what we learned in week one. In week two, this, in, we looked at Genesis 3 and we looked at the fall. Uh, this attempt to place ourselves... In the place of God. That, that God only gave one stipulation to Adam and Eve. You know, don't eat. And they ate. And God goes, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm God. And when I say don't, I mean it. And guess what? We're in trouble. Can we say that? You know, sin entered the world. Right? Our attempt to put place of God. And... and and this is, this is the one part of the Christian faith that, to me, is very easy to prove, right? That we live in fallenness. It is, it, uh, G.K. Chesterton had said, if there's one Christian doctrine that's, that's easy to prove, it's sin. It's the easiest doctrine to prove, right? Just look around. <laughs> Just look inside and look around, I think is what he said. Okay? It's the easiest thing to prove. And yet it's the biggest thing that we want to deny outright, Okay, because it's just not something that we like. But we live in a, in a broken world. And, and listen, sin has two consequences, okay? Um, we often talk about the consequence of sin between us and God, okay? That's the primary one. We know that. But whenever we elevate ourselves above God, what it does, what it does on the horizontal level is it, it, is it causes us to dehumanize other people. We lose our sense of who they are made in God's image. So even though that sin that separates us from God is significant, because of that sin, we often dehumanize each other on the horizontal plane. Okay? That is, that is the tragic part that we experience all the time in humanity. Okay, week three, we looked at Genesis 15, and we looked at the covenant you know, the covenant with Abraham. And it became the model through which God works to redeem the world. That faith became the, the, the important ingredient that God brought, uh, that God said that was going to make the difference in the world. We think it's a sacrificial system alone. It's not. It's, it's faith as well, coupled with a sacrifice of heart. And we call it repentance. We call it, you know, b- believing wholly in, in, in God and, and following his ways. Um, 
So he became a model of authentic faith. And faith becomes the vehicle for a right relationship with God. And, and we are people of Abraham's faith. All right? Uh, week number four, we looked at Deuteronomy 5 and the Ten Commandments, which became the practical model for loving God and loving others. Remember the very first commandment, four commandments, were all about the relationship with God. The last six commandments were all about a relationship with each other. Okay? That this is our Bill of Rights. God has a Bill of Rights. God has a Bill, bill of Rights. He has the right to, to His name be honored. He has a right to be worshipped as the Creator and King of the universe. You know, He has a right for His name not to be blasphemed. He has a right to his own image, not for us to create that image uh, in our image, right? And how we relate to others is the other part of the Ten Commandments. So that's the model for loving God and loving others. Um, Week number five, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. The sacrificial system was not going to last forever. It was the yearly, yearly, yearly sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. The minute you did something wrong, you had to sacrifice again. And it was, a, it was, it was this, this turnstile of continual sacrifice and continual sacrifice. Jesus comes along as the perfect sacrifice, the one-for-all sacrifice, that with, through him being the perfect and sinless sacrifice before God, appeases the wrath of God and gives us an opportunity to be redeemed by placing faith in him. And Jesus sacrificed himself in a way that we could never sacrifice. We'd be utterly lost continually in a sacrificial system. Okay, so Jesus becomes the Messiah who has become the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Week six, John three, we get introduced at least in that passage to Jesus Christ and this idea of Jesus as the Savior and the need to be born again. That Jesus talks about being high and lifted up and raised up. And everybody that, that uh, looks upon him will be saved. And this whole idea of being born again, this whole idea that we can be redeemed, this whole idea of being recreated in, in, uh, in faith in Jesus Christ. It's a, it, is a, it is a beautiful, again, picture of how God brings Jesus into the world so that we, through him, could be made the righteousness of Christ. It is, it is wonderful. And Jesus as the only way. John 20, the resurrection. This is the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead and confirm the truth found in Christ. There are lots of, there's a lots of prophets, there's lots of philosophies, there's lots of religions, there's, there's lots of ways that people say to God, etc., etc. The resurrection confirms Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And, and, and that's, without the resurrection, we would all be in deep doo-doo, okay? Be in deep trouble, right? Christianity would not be worth our effort if Christ was not raised. And, and this separates Jesus from any other faith leader, any other faith leader, okay? Romans 8 is number 8. The Holy Spirit, this is the gift of every authentic believer. And we said, if you look under the hood of every believer, what you should see there is the Holy Spirit. That the minute you become a believer, the Spirit of God comes to dwell inside of you, okay? And, and we, we've talked about the, you know, the tension that happens between wanting to do things ourselves or allowing the Spirit of God to work inside of us. And this is, this is the engine that drives us, if I can put it that way. The Holy Spirit is the engine that should be driving a, a believer, all right? this, is, this is what gets us anywhere in our Christian life. If you attempt to do 
uh, you know, biblical commands and, and, and biblical life without the Spirit of God, without the rethinking that the Spirit of God brings into your life, you're going to end up being frustrated. And it's going to be too difficult. Okay? This is why the Spirit of God is so important. Number nine. We're almost there. 1 Corinthians 15, love. Biblical love is biblical truth exercised. All right? This is very important. Remember how we said um, in, in the last one that the Holy Spirit is the engine? Love, in 1 Corinthians 13, are the gauges in the, in, in the automobile to know how well you're doing. That's one way to look at it. Okay? These are the gauges, you know. You know, love is kind. Love is patient. No record of wrongs. You know, that kind of thing. Some of you are thinking it's the fruit of the Spirit. You're never going to get to the fruit of the Spirit if you don't have love. Okay? Love's included in there. But as Paul, as Paul wrote in that passage, we can do all kinds of fancy stuff for God, but if we're doing it for our own devices, if we're doing it as performance, if we're not doing it for love and care for other people, it is just useless, period. All right? Very, very important. Um, number 10, what we just took is Revelation 21, a new heaven and a new earth. Hope and renewal. Hope and renewal. Listen. Many of you right now are stuck. You may even be a believer here this morning and you feel you're just spinning your wheels. But I I have to tell you, God is not unaware of your situation or your circumstances. In fact, God has a plan already in place that the Bible reminds us that we're all moving towards. Now, God may have specific plans for you that's going to take you somewhere that you've never hoped or imagined. But as a people of God, as we're gathered here this morning, looking at this incredible passage, there is a promise that God has made that the very things that, that hurt us in this life, the very things that bring pain and discomfort and hurt will one day vanish. That God himself will, will, will as, as the book of Psalms says, will, will, will kind of bow down before you and wipe the tears from your eyes. I... I can't imagine. In fact, I think I would take up crying just to know that God would do that, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't, as you know, I don't cry, but anyway. But you know, to think that whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is in this life will evaporate. Whatever it is in this life will evaporate. That God's just not going to make it better, God's going to make it new. Now, we can live very much in the moment, and that's okay. But don't let the moment take away tomorrow. Don't let the moment allow you to forget what God has begun in you. Because Philippians 1.6 says, you know, I, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. 
If you're a believer here this morning, whatever you're going through, this is where you're going to. And maybe going through is what God is using to get you to this. To get you to this. That's a wonderful picture of how the Bible concludes a lot of what we've talked about in the last 10 weeks. I pray you will... You'll be reminded this morning of the wonderful promises that God has done for us. I'm going to ask, um, as we close this morning, as the worship team is coming up, I'm, uh, I did this a number of weeks ago, and I feel compelled to do it again this week as we close out this series of messages. Um, I, want to, I want to pray for you this morning. Um, If you want me to pray for you this morning, I'm not going to ask you what you would like prayer for. But if you if you would just stand, um, and I can, I'll 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 pray for you as you stand this morning. And if you stand, um, we'll acknowledge that you need prayer this morning. And I just want to do that for those of you that are willing to stand and to thank you for that, Father in heaven. We thank you as we conclude this series that we can live so much in the present that we can forget the wonderful promise you have for us all in the future. This new heaven and a new earth where all things become new again. such a radical idea but it makes sense that in the brokenness of the world that we live in in the desire that you have to redeem your creation to make all things new again is it any wonder that you've given us a glimpse of what the future holds Lord, I want to pray for those who are standing here this morning that you would in some way just touch their lives, touch their hearts, remind them once again of your deep love for them. Remind them once again that what they're enduring right now will not last forever. that there is a beautiful shore ahead. With a view of eternity that will make everything that we are experiencing now pale in comparison. So Lord, I pray that whatever it is that has caused someone to stand this morning, You know them, and you know them intimately, Lord. And I pray you would answer the cry of their heart this morning. And Lord, if there are any here that long to have a relationship with you, or asking questions, 
I pray that you would touch their heart this morning as well. That you would not allow them to leave this place until they've had an opportunity to say yes. Yes to Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you have us in the very palm of your hand. That grace is enveloping us even now. We thank you for what you promise us, which is more than we could ever hope or imagine. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus.